You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Welcome to Justice is Served. Among our topics today, the brutal gang rape story told by Rolling Stone magazine has unraveled. Is it shoddy journalism or an incredible liar? Also, we will discuss whether Floyd Mayweather is on the hook for murder, simply for telling his friend to leave a cheating wife. Also, Uber is in big trouble. California district attorneys have filed a lawsuit against the multi-billion dollar ride-sharing company. Plus, Mark Wahlberg's accuser has forgiven forgiven him, and, he, and the question is whether the governor of Massachusetts will issue a pardon. And Cosby speaks on the sex scandal. Not Bill, but his wife, Camille. Welcome to Justice is Served. I'm Sarah Azari, your host, a criminal defense attorney and legal analyst, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Chelsea Galicia. And a very, very special guest here with us in the studio, Nanette Harrison. Nanette, thank you so much for accepting my invitation last minute uh, to make it here and join us in our last show of the year. Nanette is a decorated journalist of over 20 years. She has extensive experience in investigative journalism, producing television, and as a creative strategist for all types of media. She is also the co-founder of Miss Revolutionaries, a feminist social media political platform which reaches over a million people per week. Um, I can't wait to check that out, Nanette. And could you tell us a little bit about what that is? Absolutely. Well, Miss Revolutionaries is really primarily a social media organization that was founded by a group of a few people who two years ago got, uh, women primarily, who got very active with the... Um, all of the laws that were coming out against women's reproductive rights uh, state by state. And there was a big action that was planned um, for a specific day in April, uh, founded sort of by a woman out of Michigan. And, and it all happened really right on Facebook, that everybody mm -hmm. just kind of joined this group and everybody got completely active quickly. And we did this day, you know, march and an activist type of thing. And I became, just by pure serendipity, the director of that for Los Angeles. And out of that, uh, I met a lot of really wonderful people. And mm -hmm. once that action was over, we decided that we wanted to just sort of go out on our own because while we liked the idea of feminist rights and even reproductive rights, we all were very political and we wanted to really talk about a lot of other things. And so we launched Miss Revolutionaries and we have a, a, a Twitter space and a Facebook space. And we actually do participate in on the ground activism from time to time also. Sounds fascinating. And on yeah. Facebook, how do we find that? It's Miss Revolution. It's Miss Re Miss Revolutionaries. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. and on Twitter as well. Yeah. Okay. Make great. sure you find the community page because we have a group page, but that's become not as active as our community page, which is our fan page. It's really active. 
it's very fun. It sounds fantastic, yeah. and I look forward to checking it out. All right, ladies, let's get started. Yeah. Our case of the week, on November 19th, Rolling Stone magazine published a 9,000-word uh, uh, article spanning over 45 pages about a woman named Jackie. Of course, Jackie is a pseudonym for a woman who we may or, whose identity we may or may not know, who was attending the University of Virginia and claims that sometime in September of 2008, 12, uh, she was gang raped by about seven men who forced her to orally copulate them. Some of them apparently stood by and watched. And this took place on broken glass for the duration of three hours. She is very specific, specific about the story. She talks about the date, the particular fraternity where it occurred. She talks about the type of event that, that the fraternity was hosting. And she also says that this is where the story gets very sensational that, you know, after the incident. She runs into three of her friends, and uh, they were completely cruel and indifferent. They didn't try to help her. And, uh, and, and also part of the story is that she talks about two other women, also at the University of Virginia, who are gang raped at the same fraternity. And the problem is, facts are disproven, the story has unraveled, and Rolling Stone magazine has issued not one but two apologies about this. So, Nanette, you're the perfect person to enlighten us on this. Is this shoddy journalism, or is Jackie simply a big fat liar? Um, well, you know, I, I like the, I like the gray space in between those two questions, actually, Mm -hmm. because, uh, I don't really think it's either. I'm not sure that Jackie's a complete and total liar. Um, there are friends who have been interviewed by CNN, aside from Washington Post's coverage, uh, who stand by her story and stand by what she's told them. Um, and then on the other side of it, the journalist who wrote the original article, Sabrina Erdely, I think is how she pronounces her name. Is a decorated journalist. I mean, this is not a person who just graduated from college who's a blogger. This is a person who's been awarded multiple, multiple uh, awards in very high level, you know, places for journalism. Okay, but but here, and I and I'm not being a true believer, criminal defense attorney. Here. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to be as objective as possible. But she apparently runs into three of her friends right after this incident. No, she called them, or she called one of them. Well, there's also reports that she encountered these pe- encounters these people who have come out and spoken, and they say, we did not see a single visible injury. How can possibly someone who is raped for three hours on broken glass not have any injuries on her body? So I have to say that as much as I do believe there are true victims with true stories mm-hmm. and true facts, I think something definitely happened to her. I, I agree with you on that, but I don't believe that this is it. And I think that, that uh, especially the, the, this thing about the injuries was really disturbing to me because that that's something you can't hide Mm -hmm. you know being on broken glass for three hours i think it would be pretty gruesome and um and there's no evidence of that so i think that she's been unfortunately discredited in this article and i'm going to let you continue but Mm -hmm. enough where we we can't really believe what she's saying here but i do believe that something happened to her but anyway continue well i you know as a journalist myself or as a storyteller myself i mean i i I would say that These kinds of stories are super tricky to do. Mm -hmm. You know, journalists are not lawyers, and we're also not law enforcement officials, okay? We don't go uncover all of the facts of a case. In fact, that hasn't been done by law enforcement. It's apparently being done now. Maybe those facts will come out in time, and we will find out that 
you know, what he said and what she said and then what she said and what he said are all actually fabricated. Because that's what happens in a story like this. What I've noticed about it, having read a lot of articles on both sides, Mm -hmm. it seems like there's really a very quick rush to protect the University of Virginia by a lot of journalists. And I'm not saying it's because they didn't go to school there. Right. But a lot of people really like to protect the status quo. They want to protect the institutions. Right. If you really look at the facts about what she, what that journalist was trying to do, it wasn't just to reveal this horrible gang rape story. There was a lot of information in that article about serious problems going on, not only at that campus, but campuses throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And apparently, in other statistics that I've seen in other articles, 38 women last year alone made reports to the university that they had been raped or sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. Out of those, only nine were investigated. And out of those nine, only four took it all the way. And that's because it's really hard as a rape victim. I mean, this. so I take off my journalist hat and I put on my Miss Revolutionary's hat, the feminist hat. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for women to talk about sexual assault. I, I, it really is. Absolutely. And they get nowhere because why? Because they are attacked. Right. From or every, not believed. Uh, not believed and attacked from every side. And, and, and I, I understand that um, I think victims of, of molestation and rape and sexual abuse naturally are not consistent with facts. They right. they can't recite a, a chronological linear uh you know account of what happened to them. But but so I, you know, even in my practice I try to look at the quality of these discrepancies, not just that there are mm-hmm. discrepancies. So here I'm looking at, you know, what it is that she said that just doesn't match up. You know, what is it that has been disproven? I'm okay with her not being correct on the date, you know, or uh, the particular fraternity. Maybe she's she just confused two fraternities, you mm-hmm. know. But um, she's she says it happened at a particular. It was like a dating party or something at a, at a fraternity. And then you know the injuries really bother me that that she is very clear about being injured and it's not seen on her body. Um, and and I you know I mean. I do agree with you. I think victims of of rape uh, and sexual assault go through a lot. Uh, they they are faced with this sort of, um, you know, with with people who blame them, who think that it's their fault that they got raped, and also that that they should not be believed. There's that issue, but also they go through so much. You know, from the minute they report it. Once they have the, the, the guts to actually talk about it, you know, they go through talking to the police, talking to investigators, repeating, 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 going and getting, getting a rape kit. And then, you know, they're poked and prodded by everybody, including finally a defense attorney in court who's going to, you know, shred apart their their credibility on the stand. So they already have to deal with a lot. And and so here, my question is, what is the responsibility of Rolling Stone magazine in this? Because they're also not very credible, right? Well, on the surface right now, at least, without further facts that are going to probably come forward eventually, we don't really know. I mean, I find... There's there's just strange stuff that doesn't pass pass a smell test for me with this particular journalist. Mm-hmm. She is decorated. She has done very serious stories stories for Rolling Stone, even on uh, the sexual assault situation in the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. So she knows what she's doing. So there's something that's unanswered here. I would like to hear from her. Apparently, she. I wouldn't say she's gone into hiding, but she's she sort of backed off, and and nobody's really hearing her side of the story. Um, I think that it it isn't 
abnormal for a journalist to take one person's story and really sort of explore that and get a lot of background is the advantage of being a print journalist as opposed to a television journalist on on television you need interviews because you have to have talking heads for your story in newspapers and in magazines you get a lot of background that isn't really cited specifically there within the article and we don't really know who's on Sabrina's list we don't know who she Mm -hmm. talked to we don't know how many people she interviewed what about on the on that issue, the fact that at some point Rolling Stones makes a statement sa- saying uh, she tried Sabrina tried to reach so and so and so and so and was unsuccessful, and so that's why we weren't able to present their story or their corroboration or lack thereof. But then they come back and say, "Oh, oops, no, sorry, she had an agreement with Jackie not to contact the assailants, and that's why they weren't." Yeah, contacted. I think there might be a misunderstanding. She agreed not to contact the seven men who she accused Mm -hmm. of doing this to her because she did recognize one of them from a class that she was in or a discussion Mm -hmm. group. Mm -hmm. And then she obviously knew the one who led her to that room. Okay, well, even so, but even so, the the seven men as a journalist, I mean, I'm not a journalist, but I think journalistic integrity requires the, the person to go out in order to say this is the story, they got to present the whole story. And I feel like here, it's a story about Jackie by Jackie. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I think it's a good point, and it's a valid point. I mean, I, I think that um, uh, it's hard to believe that a person, as I have said, of, of this caliber of, of, you know, journalistic quality would, would make such a blatant mistake as to not really attempt to try to get some other even even to try to interview say the president of the mm-hmm. fraternity itself or you know I was never a, a fraternity in a fraternity or sorority of course but um but still there must be representatives who she could have talked to um from the place itself but doesn't journalism sometimes show somebody's story anybody's story you can't even um i mean it, Yes. There, there's just, you know, you can't always talk to the other person. They're sometimes just presenting a story, and their job is to present it. And, yes, they want to be presenting something that's true, but are they, you know, if if, if I ask you about your childhood mm-hmm. and you tell me the story of your childhood and I put it out there, do I have to go check with your parents and your siblings to make sure that everything is correct? Or is this your experience that we're talking about, and is that... Yes, I think I think that's true. I think the reason why people are incensed in this particular case is because the accusations she's making are, are so criminal. I mean, first of all, she's talking about criminal actions. And she's talking about criminal actions perpetrated by six, seven, how many men mm-hmm. were in that fraternity who are, you know, it's an esteemed place to go to school. And being in a, in a fraternity usually means that you are, you know, typically of a certain elite background. So you are accusing people of doing something that's really they should be in prison for. So maybe that, I mean, that probably in this particular case is some of it. But I have to say, I agree with you. I mean, usually telling a story is telling a story, and you shouldn't have to, you know, recite everything. The the sad thing to me is that in this whole situation – this the 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 debacle over how many girls are raped one in five girls on college campuses will be raped in their tenure there one in five mm-hmm. only 12 percent will report it that means there's a lot of guys out there who are rapists who aren't in prison or have never or even, even appre- haven't even been mm-hmm. challenged for mm-hmm. their acts mm-hmm. this this is a serious threat for women 
And the article well, talked about that, or, or there's people talking about, we don't want this one story and a couple discrepancies to totally blow the credibility of right. everyone who has Correct. a story right. like this. Right, because it discourages the victims who are already right discouraged <laughs> to come forward. But what about the two other women that Jackie refers to as also having been gang raped at this particular fraternity? How How do you think this credibility issue that we have is going to affect, um, you know, whether those women really were gang raped. I mean, the story comes from uh, Jackie. Yeah. And so we have that issue. Right. Of whether, well, what, because what now she's telling the truth about. We've now discredited her. Well, so now, we, now everything is if 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 everything she says is not totally correct, is she completely discredited? Is it I don't a think black so. and white issue? No. Or can somebody be Truthful it's and not, not, it's yet not, really not totally black and accurate. white. It's just that at this point, there we know a lot of what she said does not check out. Okay, but we I, don't I, know to the I, contrary. I heard a lot of that, but then I also don't know. So let's. I, I don't know what what are the clothes that she was wearing after she walked out, and did, was she when she met with these friends? I didn't see in the article where she met them. Was it a well lit place that they could but, but, see but, everything, or she had a, a but, jacket on? But, but three hours on broken glass? No, 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 no. I, I don't remember. I, I remember there being broken <laughs> I glass. I don't remember three hours on broken glass. I know some people are saying, well, the fraternity has said that they didn't have a party that night, and they checked it because there were no register parties right. going on. Do you know how? many unregistered parties exactly, at fraternity right. houses I went yeah. to in college. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not I'm not at all holding her to that discrepancy. I think that is, you know, that, that can be very easily explained. Um, so, but, you know, but, but what about these two other women? I mean, do we, do we, do we just take Jackie's word that these two women really did report to her at least that they had also been gang raped at this fraternity? Uh, no. I mean, no one's going to take anybody's word at this point in this particular story. <laughs> right. I mean, as, as you were saying, let's, I mean, let's do a new story. Uh, now the Washington Post uh, articles continue to bring out all these so-called factual pieces that disprove Jackie. And right. yet they're not naming the lawyer for the fraternity. I'd like to know who, who this lawyer is who claims that there was no party that night. And what is the evidence for that? Was the, f- that they're saying it's a fact, but right. I, I, this is now again another reporter saying that his source said such and such. This is a lot of responsibility to put on one journalist trying to tell a story. It is. What is the standard of journalistic integrity? When is it I'm just telling somebody's story and when is there an obligation to go check out all of the facts and talk to everybody involved? Typically when you're talking about criminal activity, you have you do and should have a big responsibility to mm-hmm. try your best to, you know, determine the truth of, of these types of things. I've had the fortune of doing a lot of crime storytelling myself. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. Typically, it's been from the standpoint of law enforcement. So I'm mm-hmm. covering stories where law enforcement and prosecutors or DA's offices have tried and convicted criminals, and I'm using their data to tell my story. Uh, and the it's, case has already been proven it, it, beyond it, a reasonable right. doubt. And there's, right. you've got court records, right. and you've got law enforcement reports, and all the police reports and interrogations and stuff. Now, that said, do police lie? Yes. Do prosecutors lie? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, is it my job then to go interview everybody from that perpetrator's family to find out whether the police are telling the truth? I've never done right. that. Yeah. So, it's it is it's you know, there's all this shady ground and then mm. on that I would add every single day in America, if not the world, there are hundreds and hundreds of stories that are presented to us 
that have complete factual errors about them. Okay, mm-hmm. we have whole networks that spend the whole day promoting misfact. Right? <laughs> I would <laughs> love to say one, but I think and I nobody, would better be served by keeping my mouth shut about it. Right? I mean, their <laughs> right. journalists are not in hiding and not tweeting anymore oh, gosh, because right. they've been told that they're not journalists. <sighs> Oh. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's sort of a slippery slope to say, oh, only in this case was it required. But everywhere else, no, it doesn't matter. And if you bring up Ferguson, you can say exactly the same thing. You know, there's a witness right now that's been com- uh, virtually discredited by a journalist. Mm-hmm. No one's talking about it. It's yeah, like I saw one article about it. It's like gone away already. Mm-hmm. I just think the more serious the allegations are, and you kind of mentioned them, and this is, you, you know, you've got the victim's life, but you also got the life of seven men, some of whom or all of whom may be innocent. I mean, you've got to also take that into consideration. We don't mm-hmm. know what happened. And you've got to be really careful. I, I hold the, the journalists very responsible. I think when you're dealing with a situation like this, you've got to be really careful about what you say happened by whom. I mean, I think that's, I agree, you know, fair enough. Um, now, whether it's the fault of, of Jackie or Rolling Stone, how much damage does this do to true and legitimate victims out there? And Chelsea brought this up a, a, a bit ago, um, who now will yet be yet more reluctant mm-hmm. to come forward. What do you think? Because you also have your Miss Revolutionaries experience. So, yeah, um, well, it does do you- a lot of damage. I mean, it's already bad enough. Um, and I think that, well, I will say this. The new wave of feminism is great because I think young women are, are really, they've had so much history and so much to learn from other feminists. And I think that they are starting to see the game that goes on. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to fight against it, they do have to be willing to stand up and, and make their voice be heard. I mean, you asked about the other two rape victims, mm-hmm. if they exist. It would be fabulous if they'll come forward and be interviewed on a camera. Put your face out there and say, this is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that would be the best thing is for more and more women to come forward, not go back into the shadows, not go back. Because only in coming out and telling your story, as intimidating as others will try to be to you and make you say, you know, stop rocking the boat here. Are you um, sure this really happened? Yes. And- I mean, we still live in a misogynistic, you know, world, patriarchal world. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, it's not just really? the Taliban that's promoting it. <laughs> and so we, you know, we right. have, we have uphill battles to fight. Right. And, um, so, uh, you know, I would say I'm going to reserve the right to give Jackie the benefit of the doubt. Uh, mm-hmm. and say that when I've never been a victim of sexual assault. And, um, so I don't know what that really feels like to go through that. But people who are experts in that field say that most women don't remember the details. So it isn't even surprising, frankly, if it wasn't even that fraternity house. Right. You know, right. When you're in college and you're 18 years old, and, you know, when you're 18, I mean, I have a 17 year old son, so your mind is really not completely all there all the time. Right. And you're into having fun. And, and you're into impressing and- boys because you right. really want to fall in love and right. you really want to find a boyfriend and you're willing to kind of play the games that boys tell girls they have to play. Mm-hmm. There's drugs. There's alcohol. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Right. It's still not her fault. If it happened, it's not her fault. That It was the choice of the men right. to do what they did. It was their choice. And they perpetrated violence on another on another person. She didn't ask for it. 
Assuming it happened. Right. Yeah. So I hope that, I hope more women yeah. will come forward and, and talk. And at this point, even Rolling Stone hasn't recanted the story. Mm-hmm. They've just come out and said, we apologize for not reaching out to the accused well, because they, we had an agreement. Yeah. No, but don't forget, they also said, we apologize for misplacing our trust They in recanted Jackie. that part and they, they said, did. They took that back. And they said instead... But you've already rung a bell. I don't care you took it back. It's already out there that you are throwing this woman under the bus. And what if she is telling the truth? Or I, I, I believe something did happen to her. So even that bit that has happened to her, uh, you've essentially thrown her under the bus after writing 45 pages about her and her story. (laughs) You know, I'd like to add something important, I think, on this issue. In the old days, in the old journalism days, we didn't have all this immediacy, right? So there was time to let things happen. I think there's so much pressure on journalists Mm -hmm. to get stuff done quickly and get it out there. And then what happens with social media is then it's like there's a jumping on the bandwagon of something, and all the comments, you know, all the comments that are allowed on articles and, and pages and stuff like that. And it creates this kind of, like, tornado mm-hmm. of, you know, response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Washington Post there then jumped on it. Oh, this is in our backyard, so we're going to go now cover this story. And what they chose to cover was right. discrediting the journalist. Right. Not looking at University of Virginia and their really bad record of right. not... Uh, you know, following through on these sexual assaults complaints. No, not on that. No, right. let's discredit her. That's where they took their energy. Yeah. And, um, you know, and because that's salacious and because that's ultimately they know what their male viewers want to hear, isn't it? Right. They want to hear that. They want to hear, wow, these girls, they lie about this stuff, don't they? Right. right. Actually, no, they don't. Do you know that only 2% of, of women who are raped actually fabricate or lie? About what's happened you know, to them. Uh, it's, this is a long. <laughs> this is a long debate. I don't yeah. know the statistics, so I'm not going to argue with the statistics. But from my experience, uh, I, I have investigated women who are telling the truth, mm-hmm. but I have also come across a lot of women and a lot of young girls in child molestation cases who absolutely have the motive and had the motive and uh, fabricated based on that motive. I mean, there's a whole list, you know, broken family, uh, money, you know, shakedown of a wealthy man, um, sure. buyer's remorse, you know, you, you go out with a guy, the guy just wants to sleep with you, you want to be his girlfriend, oh, he raped me. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's all of that as well. So, but absolutely there are, and I don't know the statistics, so I'm going to rely on, on yours, but um, one last thing on this uh, topic. A blogger named Charles Johnson claims mm-hmm. that he's outed Jackie by tweeting her real name. He gave her an ultimatum that if she were not going to come forward <laughs> and tell the truth, that he would reveal her identity. And I think this is so disgusting. It's very that disgusting. That he's bullying this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's legal to give out a victim's name, but it's not kosher. And here, uh, I can't think of a reason... Why this would have any news value other than to hurt and harm her further. I, I don't see what the benefit is of, um, revealing her true identity. If in fact that what he said is her identity, I'm not sure how much he knows about her. But so has Jackie been victimized by seven men, a publication, and now this blogger? This is my last question. I think so. I mean, yeah, once again, it just comes back to the shaming, you know, which, um, you find happening with white men primarily doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, it seems like it. It's, it's you know, to put the blame on her once again. 
Yeah, I think it's horrible to out her. That it, it, that just isn't done. Well, I do believe if 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 she had made if she had uh, filed a police report, for instance, and there was an investigation going on of of this offense, then from my perspective, yes, I totally believe in freedom of information. I think that once you make such serious allegations, yeah, we got to know who you are. We got to know whether you've made them before. You know, who Who's are you? What's your background? Should, that should know. Um, the public and the defense attorneys. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are very serious. People have to register for the rest of their lives as sex offenders. They have to do a lot of time in prison. So, so you know, I need to know who you are. I don't want to know you're Jackie. I need to know your real name. I need to investigate you. Well, certainly, but, but here the attorneys she, investigating to, or trying to defend their clients should know. But do we all need to know? Well, I th- I believe in freedom of information, and I think that you know. Perhaps. I mean, perhaps. I mean, I, I think that if... But that's my point. She did not make a police report. So I feel like there's less of a need for us to know who she really is, you know? And, it, you know, and, and it goes back to creating a safe environment for victims of sexual assault. And I think that far supersedes and trumps any freedom of information that we might have in knowing her true identity. Anyway, so it'll be interesting to see how this story unfolds in the weeks I think there's to more to come. Yeah, I, I do. I, hope so. I, I don't I do think that this truth, journalist, but... based on what I can tell of her background, I don't think she's going to just disappear into the night and never answer these accusations. She might just be on vacation um, for the she, holidays. <laughs> <laughs> she she has she has her career at at stake also at this point. Right. Um, and I think uh, it will be really fascinating to see what she eventually has to say. And I hope that I hope that Jackie will out herself and come out and talk about it. I know I did see one really interesting thing that was on the University of Virginia uh, Sexual Assault Coalition page. That one man who apparently is a member of the fraternity has hired a lawyer who represented a dozen or so uh, victims, I'm uh, not sorry, not victims, but um, perpetrators of sexual assault on campus mm. before. And he was named. There was a name attached to it. Um, so I think that... The lawyer was named. The No. Yes, the lawyer and the, and and the college really. student, the client. Oh, okay. So... They asked the question in this particular page was why did this why did this person hire this lawyer mm-hmm. and what is he worried about well you know in time some of these names will come out mm-hmm. and the police are investigating and you know it's hard because what will be the evidence there is no evidence I mean the fraternity was cleaned up after the party and she didn't go you know to the police and there is no rape kit and so it's really hard to prove it's he said she said and, absolutely. You know. All right, so on the docket, the spotlight is on Floyd Mayweather, who about a week ago Sunday was speaking, or I should say meeting, his rapper friend Earl Hayes on FaceTime um, very early morning hours, like 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday. And while they're talking, apparently, reportedly, Floyd uh, tells Earl that, look, you know, your wife, Stephanie Mosley, is cheating on you. She cheated on you with rapper uh, Trey Song. And um, this is just bad for your reputation, man. You got to leave her. Something along those lines. And the next thing that happens is Mayweather puts down the phone. There's 12 gunshots. He apparently goes into the bathroom. And Earl Hayes, we should what did make I say? sure. Mayweather. 
I'm sorry, Earl, Earl Hayes. Sorry, <laughs> Earl Hayes goes into the bathroom and shoots and kills Stephanie Mosley. He then comes back to the FaceTime call and um, shoots himself. And this is while the police are trying to break into the apartment. So the the issue here is is does Mayweather, uh, Chelsea, you and I have been talking about this, have any liability in the death of these two people? Well, criminally, I think it would be. A pretty slam dunk. No, he had, I agree. he had no intent. Civilly is where the conversation gets more interesting because mm-hmm. it's conceivable. I don't know about very practical, but conceivable that the family, especially Stephanie, would file a wrongful death claim against him if a lawyer were to find a way to show that his conduct somehow caused her death. And I have r- read two accounts. One is that Earl called Mayweather to say goodbye and the other that Mayweather goodbye called, meaning that he was oh, going to do this yes okay mm-hmm. and that Mayweather tried to convince him out of it mm-hmm. and then the other account I've read is that Mayweather was the one that called Earl that morning to say you got to leave her if you don't leave her you're weak and that is apparently what inflamed him incited him enough to where he went grabbed a gun and just killed her while she was taking a bath and isn't it I mean there's reports that Mayweather did not even know that she's home so my problem is with imputing you know liability to him if he didn't even know that he's and she's in close proximity how could he be liable yeah we we don't know these details Mm -hmm. the lapd did interview him but has decided to keep the details confidential so we don't know if he knew although i don't think it's really unreasonable that he would know that this man's wife was home at seven i believe it was a monday morning oh it was Mm -hmm. um so the the only reason it seems more likely that he might have a, a, a be facing a claim is because he is a deep pocket and he right. doesn't doesn't hide it at all. His mm-hmm. nickname is Money. Um, his Instagram pictures mm-hmm. are often of you know suitcases, money, or just or flaunting it. And so um, because our laws are so arguable, there's not you know fixed and we can decide yeah. here it's a yes or no. Right. There could be but a reasonable you, argument. This this brings me to the next question: Is do you think he's responsible for the deaths, or I mean, would they be coming after him because they think he's responsible for the deaths, or frankly, he's just the only man alive with a deep pocket? Well, he could. They could feel that he is responsible and that it's worth their fight to go after it because he says has. They such can a deep at least pocket. name him as a defendant in this lawsuit, right? Yes. I mean, it's it's. Uh, okay, and um, yeah, Floyd Money Mayweather. He has a history of buying his way out of legal problems. So, uh, what do you think is the likelihood of him being able to buy his way out of this type of lawsuit? Well, if, we if should say that nothing has actually been filed, so we're really mm-hmm. just having a fun of discussion course, yes. about whether it's legally mm-hmm. uh, viable. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, I think if there was. A lawsuit, he would probably be better to settle it when it looks like such a a tragic story, and the the family has, um, you know, is obviously left with a tremendous loss. Uh, it, it looks very terrible that Mayweather has any involvement in it. I don't know if he thinks maybe his fans would turn on him if he didn't reach out and try and help these families or try to talk badly about the family to defend himself against a lawsuit and so it might be better for him and his public image and for his fans to continue supporting him on the public image uh, the night that this happened he went to a clippers game 
And this next night, he went to a Lakers game. That's how the LAPD knew that he's in town. And I, I'm just thinking, okay, how good of friends are you? Because I don't know that I can Yeah, the accounts that I read were that after. they were best friends. But how, I, I don't know. It's I'm going to try not to judge somebody's grief, but it seems pretty outrageous that right. he would be seen. I mean, hours later, it's such a Having public a place. Time. Yeah. All right, next on the docket, the multi-billion dollar ride-sharing company, my favorite, Uber. Um, the app says that it is evolving the way the world moves, and it is now sued by Los Angeles and San Francisco prosecutors for a slew of alleged misdeeds, including failing to comply with state regulation, as well as misrepresenting the background, the safety of his drivers and the background checks that it conducts. Mm-hmm. So is it the state that is trying to find a way to regulate because it is it is providing transportation to the public or is it really to generate revenue because of uber's popularity well i don't but i think uber's ability to generate money is good for the state because then they pay taxes so i don't know if that's the real reason i think that there are some legitimate safety concerns on this and uh when this company claims that it does really Good background checks, and then it, it says turns it out it leads the industry. As right, I'm quoting, and that's right. and that is where um, they have said something that is not accurate, and so they are being held to account for it. So, and I it's think because I think they don't require ba- um, uh, fingerprints, and uh, fi- fingerprinting mm-hmm. is the one. Uh, sure way you're going to know that this driver is this person. Otherwise, if you're just going by driver's license number, social security, and name, and last known address, you're, you're, you're not really sure if the person that passed the background test is, in fact, the driver. So they mm-hmm. are saying that they're, they've got the industry's leading background checks, but, but they're not even doing fingerprints, right? right. So they're not. Okay. But they are the industry. I mean, <laughs> they are for me. I who's take it their every competition day. exactly? Lift. I mean, yeah. if you if you look though at the way um, you know taxi services have gone for you know decades past, yeah. it has been seriously controlled. That's what medallions are all about, mm-hmm. and and buying them and 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 being you know prepared to to run a company like that. And then Uber sort of came in and and uh, sort of you know squashed the the whole system by which all of that was done. So, and, and there, there are actually reported incidents uh, with, uh, uh, that, you know, that involve public safety. I think that's why the DA's offices in L.A. and San Francisco have gotten involved, mm-hmm. because in San Francisco there were two incidents. One was um, a passenger was attacked in September with a hammer by an Uber driver, and, mm. and it left him without an eye. And then the other time in San Francisco, uh, someone was assaulted verbally and physically by the driver. And what Uber does, I mean, all they can do is just suspend the account of the driver, it's not like they or get terminated. Yeah, terminated, that's and that's it. it. Um, in India, far away from our borders, uh, a woman was raped a couple weeks ago by an Uber driver. Um, allegedly, Chicago- allegedly, of course. Um, well, but I don't know. You in saying- India, you might just be on the hook the minute you're you're accused. But Chicago, someone was assaulted, and a lawsuit lawsuit was settled. And then there was a kidnapping uh, here locally in West Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, back in the summer. So there have been issues with it, but. The, the lawsuit claims, and I'm quoting, that Uber ignores any laws and regulations that get in the way of the company's rapid expansion into the market and aggressively fights any regulatory enforcement efforts. But Uber, to me, is a smartphone app. It's, it's a technology platform, just like Airbnb, that connects 
uh, um, a passenger with a driver, right? Uh, and so my question is, can it be ultimately responsible for passenger safety? Well, that's the thing is that they do time and time again say we're an app, we're a technology mm-hmm. platform. We're not a transportation company. We don't control these uh, cars. They're not our cars. These are independent contractors. Mm-hmm. And they do that. But then in other public statements, they say, you know, we take the safety of our riders very seriously. That's well, the now they're making it sound like they mm-hmm. have some dominion and control That's the over problem. That. It's when it works to their benefit, they are a broker, you know, intermediary just connecting the passengers and the drivers. But and then when it doesn't, uh, you know, that because they also take 20% of the, the fare. Right. And they regulate the fares when it's um, downtime they drop the fares mm-hmm. when it's uh, peak time they have surge fares you know and they're obviously now starting to realize that they have some responsibility for safety because they're all charging us a dollar extra now just sure the safety right which is kind of funny right. I still I love uber I take I, I don't, I'm sober and I still take uber to work I get a lot done in the back seat but um, but I think they're acting like a manager of independent cabs. I think that's what's going on. Without any of the regulation or responsibility that taxi cabs have. And a company is going to try and do what they can to maximize profits. And to some extent, you can't blame them. But for others, when it comes to to safety, I think they should be at least working with the authorities to to prioritize that. Hopefully they are serious about that and it's just not pretty PR statements. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't know if, you know, anybody will ever be ultimately safe in any situation. After all, there are stories of uh, assaults by cab drivers. So no system is This is not perfect. perfect. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think the spotlight is on them because they're the, they're the popular kid on the block, you know. And Lyft but settled... But they also need... The- but they're also, in, in their evading regulations, uh, are totally. perhaps evading too many. Right. But the, the, the Public Utilities Commission regulates... Uh, uh, you know, ride-sharing companies like Uber and and Lyft ever since well, they September they 2013. Don't. No, they do, but they are shorthanded. They only have 26 or 25 investigators in the whole state, and they've been requesting data from Uber. And Uber is like, yeah, whatever. I mean, they're they're not complying, mm. and that's the problem. And that's this lawsuit is trying to get the the Public Utilities Commission to be a little more firm with enforcement and Uber to comply. Um, Lyft had a similar. Warning by the DA's office, and they settled for half a million dollars with a promise that they're not going to make misrepresentations about the quality of their background checks, and that they're going to uh, prohibit their drivers from entering airports because near airports you have to pay certain fees. Mm -hmm. So they've made this promise, and they've paid, and they're out of the picture. And, And my last question on this is: Shouldn't Uber just stop resisting local authorities and finally? be a good kid and follow the rules because I think as this keeps going on it's bad publicity in a way for Uber. Yeah, but Uber has since the beginning faced problems from, you know, cab companies and the regulations and they have to some extent been very successful in working around whatever is there. I mean, they're they're valued in the billions of dollars and they're only, you know, 4 years old or 4 years old in mm-hmm. the capacity that they're operating now. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, what they've been doing so far is working. I at, maybe at some point they'll begin to care about these um, these complaints and try and work with authorities. 
But on the other hand, even though these stories are coming out, people are still loyal, mostly because of the convenience. So at the end of the day... And the rates. See, my fear is that if they're heavily regulated, those rates are going to go up. And then it's like a taxi, except maybe they speak better English and it doesn't smell as bad. Mm -hmm. I I mean... (laughs) I don't know. Perhaps. Maybe there's a a happy medium where it's still um, reasonably cheap. Right. We're reasonably protected. The the company makes money. The state makes tax revenue. And we can all... And everybody's happy. happy. Next on the docket, Mark Wahlberg's victim speaks out and forgives him. He says he was a young, reckless kid back then. It It was a long time ago. And I've forgiven him. And by the way, he did not take my eye out. I already was blind before this assault ever occurred. He also says that he wants to see um, Wahlberg get a pardon from the governor of Massachusetts. So if the victim has forgiven him, shouldn't the, the state of Massachusetts also forgive him? Not automatically. Uh, it, it's it's nice. I, I read that the uh, victim doesn't no Wahlberg, so he never received an actual apology, but he's more forgiving him just in that he understands that this guy, Wahlberg, was a young kid who mm-hmm. made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice of the victim to forgive him, but I don't think that's totally dispositive in all it's not. cases. Right. And so that factor by itself can't be the reason why Massachusetts takes this felony off of his record. But it certainly works in his favor. Plus, there was a second victim here. There was Mr. Lamb who was hit with a club and went unconscious. So it's not just Mr. Trin. You know, we were focused Mm. on Mr. Trin because uh, we thought he went blind. And we thought that was the worst injury out of the whole incident. But um, I agree. I think it's a political, it's up to political discretion to grant it. And it's not readily granted. We talked about this last week. And I think that that the victim's uh, position here will be taken into consideration, but it's definitely not dispositive. And um, what about the fact that the, the, the injuries that we thought this victim had um, are no longer the case? So what, yeah. how do you think that So will- the guy apparently lost his eye in Vietnam in, mm-hmm. the, in the war and not because of Wahlberg and before mm-hmm. we had believed. So I, I, obviously when somebody's considering whether they should pardon somebody, they're looking at the crime that was committed and how egregious what it was. And so that again works in Wahlberg's favor that it was bad. Nobody mm-hmm. denies that it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as we first thought that it was. So if it's a less violent crime, that probably helps. But again, because of the way that people are generally denied these pardons, mm-hmm. so many people apply, hardly anybody is pardoned. The fact that it's ultimately up to the governors of uh, these states who are always concerned about uh, their public image and what voters are going to think of them mm-hmm. next go around. It's a huge uphill battle that these two things by themselves won't help uh, Wahlberg overcome. And, and last week we talked about uh, it being unfair to grant a pardon to Wahlberg as a celebrity and then with all the other people who've also made um, substantial rehabilitative efforts and turned their lives around and have been turned down for pardons. But uh, the flip side to that is his celebrity status and how that would send a message out that, hey, if you guys, uh, uh, if I could do it, you could do it. You know, um, you too can turn your life around. Well, on the flip side, there are, there's an argument to be made. Look, kids, if you mess up, 
it's going to follow you. So mm-hmm. don't do it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's really great that he that's turned what, his life around. That's what's been going on. <laughs> Can we change that and make it, hey, I mean, look, I, I do think, I think we punish people for something they did wrong. And I think we should reward them and give them the opportunity to um, not have to carry this with them for the rest of their lives. You know, um, there are people who repeatedly offend and commit crimes, but there are certainly people that I've come across in my career who are really good people who make mistakes. Um, they are addicted to drugs like Wahlberg was, or for whatever reason, they do a horrible thing in their life. They learn from it and they become a better person because of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's kind of, uh, I get that Wahlberg wants this off his record. I mean, he certainly, his job is not contingent on yeah, his yeah. getting rid of the felony, but I think at the same time, you know, it's the scarlet letter A on his chest. Look, do we want to let felons, you know, be able to vote again, carry weapons and all the rights restored? Maybe, but that's going to be a big state by state issue or a big national issue. Um, I'm not sure that anybody is cares enough to take it up. I think the other thing that could help is if the decision got taken out of the hands of somebody who is elected into office because then they're very concerned about what mm-hmm. the pardon says about their image and their stance on mm-hmm. crime. On crime. Mm-hmm. All right, last on our docket, Camille Cosby speaks out on behalf of her husband and she takes standing by my man to a whole new level. <laughs> Um, in her very first public statement, she says that Bill Cosby is the nice, generous, kind, and funny man that we all know, and that the person that the media has depicted him to be in the past few weeks is not who he is. And uh, interestingly, she compares Cosby to the perpetrators referenced in the Rolling Stone article that we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. And she says, look what happened there. You know, they called these guys a bunch of rapists, and it wasn't true. And the media is now attacking my husband. And the final thing that she says in, in her statement, which is very short, uh, was very interesting to me. She says, look, it, it, it really, it's bad to be a victim and be attacked, but who is the victim? So why, and, um, Nanette, I'm yeah. interested to see your viewpoint on this. Why is Camille doing this? Of course, it's her husband. She's been married to him for 50 years. She loves him, but, why is she doing this? Is she, is she is she saying, "Hey, I need to go on with my life because you're just victimizing my husband and I"? Well, I mean, he's sent out a whole you know army of people to stand by his side. You know, the lawyer is making statements. Uh, he, you know, the other relatives, his his wife. I mean, and she has stood by his side the whole time. The allegations of um, assault uh, that have been brought against him are not new. These are old. I mean, some of these were 15, 20 years ago, and the public knew about them then, and she stood by his side back then, too. She has a lot to lose by not standing by his side, and um, we can't know anything about their personal, you know, experience, but we probably can surmise that she wasn't present when any of this happened. Of course, yeah. So, you know, some lots of women stay in relationships with, with men who are you know, abusive or who, who are criminals or who do things and they just don't sometimes want to accept the truth. Or maybe she does accept the truth, but she's just not willing to publicly uh, tell people that she's accepted it. Yeah. She's in but, a tough position. What, what course. truth is she supposed to know? She has a truth of the man that she has experienced for 50 years mm-hmm. and then these allegations and that creates this 
ginormous cognitive dissonance in your Mm -hmm. mind, you know, this confusion about which reality is true. Mm -hmm. And so she, for herself, has to find a way to reconcile what's going on for her own sanity. Well, and I also think, you know, like you said, she's been through this for so many years. They've been married for 50 years. Some of these allegations go back to 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I think that she... If I were her, I I would be like, okay, we've already lived through this. This is now our twilight years to enjoy each other, to be, you know, he's 77. So she's, I don't know how old she is, but she's probably close to his age. Mm -hmm. And it's like the media is now bringing this back. And it's almost like haunting her again at a time in her life where perhaps, you know, Cosby may have been a player at some point. I don't think he's playing now. And I just think that, you know, it's almost like she has to relive this. I think the media is being unfairly targeted in, in this it this isn't the media making up stories the media is sharing stories of women who are coming forward and she accused the media of not vetting these women are these women supposed to be vetted or are their stories supposed to be vetted well she calls them she calls it a witch hunt um and she says it's a witch hunt against my husband so this victimization of bill cosby and possibly her do you think that it will sway the public per- perception of cosby in no, any way i think there's too many there are too many women yeah mm-hmm. i mean if it were one um, maybe even two you know, which is in the case of the the Virginia story is completely different. I mean, th- mm-hmm. there's no way she can correlate those two stories. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to do with each other. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, I I I, th- I think she's in denial. Yeah. Um, or at least publicly, she's in denial. Mm-hmm. We don't know what she is privately. Do, does well, this but yeah, remind you of Maria Shriver when Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. was running mm-hmm. for governor, yeah. and she stood by him and 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 vouched for the man that mm-hmm. he is and then i'm sure she was blindsided like the rest of us to find out about the the nanny and the baby right so it's just that she didn't know it's it's the expected response it's it's predictable i mean to me it's predictable but um i also have to wonder because you know as lawyers we don't let our clients speak under any circumstances but when family wife uh colleague whoever, the priest, want to support our client, um, we definitely take a close look at what's going to be said when we try to control how that's going to affect the image of our client. And so here I, I read this and I think, how much of this is really Camille talking versus, you know, save my husband's ass legal team? I think it's both. Yeah. And, and I will say that the thing that's fascinating about this story to me on a much bigger scale is just how much protection there is that goes on when there's so much wealth and so much fame involved. There were clearly a lot of people covering for Bill Cosby all along, including Camille Mm -hmm. and his lawyers and his managers and his PR people. They were actually helping him. And the National Enquirer. They they were helping him Mm -hmm. get the drugs that he wanted to get. You know, people knew that this stuff was going on Um, in green rooms where he was, you know, going to go and perform you know, in moments, these kinds of things were happening. So people just, you know, closed their eyes to it. And once again, yeah. it's just about the whole system of perpetrating this thing that it's okay to be a sexual predator as long as 
you know, we just make the women understand that they can't complain about it. Right. They need to keep silent. Yeah. And it just continues. The, the, this brings me to another point. Yesterday, the DA's office made a statement that it has declined to file charges uh, brought by Judy Huth, the Riverside woman who claimed that Cosby um, assaulted her at the Playboy Mansion in the 70s. They said that the charges were, or the allegations, I'm sorry, dated back to 40 years. Mm. The statute of limitations with, were, was three years at the time. It has long passed. And even back then, it would have been a misdemeanor. So they, uh, because the LAPD had said, look, we don't care how old the the, the uh, claims are. We're still going to investigate. We're still going to submit it for review by the DA's office. And here we have the first lawsuit out of these accusers who was, I, I'm sorry, not the lawsuit, the first set of allegations that has gone for review to the DA's office and has been rejected for filing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more on the Bill Cosby sex scandal in the weeks to come and we'll, of course, keep you updated. Um, this brings us to the end of our final segment in 2014. I want to thank Nanette again mm-hmm. for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and our studios will be undergoing plastic surgery during mm-hmm. the holidays, uh, but we will be back on January 14th. I thank you for joining us today and please let's keep the dialogue going. Look us up on iTunes, YouTube, post your comments, feedback, and questions, and of course, click like. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can also reach us directly. I can be reached by email, sarah at azarilaw.com, or Twitter, as at azarilaw, at Chelsea Galicia. Miss Rebo. Twitter. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> all right. And uh, happy holidays to all of you. Be safe. And we will see you right here next year on Justice is Served. From producers Maria Menunos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.